Welcome to One Great History. I'm Alex. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here with our producer, Nick. Hi, Nick. Uh, Yeah, just a little bit of housekeeping right off the bat. You may have noticed it's been a month since our last episode. We're doing a monthly schedule now. So we're going to do them consistently and not consistently and then sporadically? Yes, kind of. We'll see. (laughs) Um, And so this is our October episode, which means we're coming at you with something a little bit spooky. Ooh. Yes. We are going to be talking about what is, for sure, Manitoba's most famous UFO sighting, which is the Falcon Lake Encounter. I can't um, believe you got through the entire intro without a single X-Files joke. Now you've made me feel like I should have thought of an X-Files joke. I was thinking that was like, Alex will surely have a bit. I have no X-Files jokes in this script, Sabrina. You're responsible for that at some point. Oh, boy. You know, some people say I look like David Duchovny. Really? Yeah, ever since university. Huh. You guys don't see it, obviously. I do know. <laughs> that's, not a ba- that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Just a hard no. <laughs> like, really? Hmm. General disgust. So, so who says that? <laughs> um, but yeah, Sabrina, do you know anything about this case? Absolutely nothing. Okay, amazing. Um, so the other fun thing about this is I interviewed, um, Chris Rutkowski for this episode. So he's a really neat guy. He's an astronomer. He's a science writer. But most importantly for us today, he is a ufologist. Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. I guess you could say a ufologist. That's normally what, yeah, ufologist. I'm pretty sure it's ufologist. Okay. Or at least that's how I'm going to say it right now. Okay. Um, but he wrote a book called When They Appeared, which is specifically about this case. So he's kind of the guy who's done the most research on this. And he wrote that book with Stan um, Mahalik, who's the son of the guy who's going to be kind of at the center of our story today. Okay. Um, and so one of the first things actually that I asked Chris was, you know, to kind of play devil's advocate if, you know, I'm someone who doesn't believe in UFOs at all. I think that this is all like a load of malarkey. Why is this stuff even worth talking about? And I think he gave a really good explanation. So I'll just play that for you. Well, you know, I, I, we're not saying that aliens visited uh, Manitoba. What we're saying is something happened that has been documented by uh, the government of Canada and the government of Manitoba. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's really irrelevant whether uh, you believe in aliens or not, because this is simply a fact that something happened and it's affected the community. It's part of the cultural uh, milieu of uh, Falcon Lake community. And, and, you know, even all across Manitoba and Winnipeg, people uh, will think of Falcon Lake and they'll think, I think there's that, that UFO thing that happened there a long right. time yeah. ago. So, you know, whether you think it's poppycock or not, it, that's irrelevant to the fact that it's a historical event. Yeah, so I thought that was a really good explanation of why, you know, he's a scientist, we're historians why we might want to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we talk about all kinds of other weird things. I this don't is see true. Why. We just talk about things that we think are fun. But I thought that was a good explanation. Yeah. And throughout the episode, um, I'll play you a few other clips from him. Oh, exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, I feel like we're a little bit out of our depth here because neither of us are scientists. No. So I marshaled him and also another surprise special guest <laughs> later on to help explain some of the science. Is it your dad? <laughs> It's a surprise, but it might be my dad. <laughs> Is it Alf? Is it Alf? <laughs> Alf the scientist. Um, 
Okay, so to kind of introduce our main character here, um, Stefan Mahalik, um, he is a, or was, a Polish immigrant. Um, he worked as a mechanic at a concrete plant here in Winnipeg. He was a former soldier during World War II, a translator, a member of the Polish resistance. Oh. He also was a concentration camp survivor. Oh, wow. Um, but importantly for our story today, he was an amateur geologist. Okay. And on May 20th, 1967, he was in the White Shell looking for quartz. Okay. So there's quite a bit of quartz out in the yeah. White Shell. You've been out to the White Shell. I think twice. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's 5.30 a.m. when he sets out. It sounds like he had found a quartz vein kind of a ways away. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're talking about a very different time in the White Shell here. Most of these areas now probably have stuff in them, hiking trails, buildings, whatever. Or they're a provincial park where you can't go and... You can't just go and stake a claim for quartz. But yeah. back then, that was a thing you could do. Um, so he was kind of, if you know where the town of Falcon Lake is, mm -hmm. he was like across the highway and a ways away. So there's like a riding stable now. Yeah. now. Um, and had found a vein. So he's out there kind of doing his thing, trying to get some quartz. Um, around 12.15, he had, he had taken a break for lunch, and I'll actually let Stefan Mihalik explain to you exactly what he saw, because there is an episode of Unsolved Mysteries oh. on this. <laughs> so I'll play you a, sh a super short clip where he uh, tells us what he saw. When a flock of geese in the pond below kicked up an unusual racket... Looking on the tree, I notice a two cigarette-like shape things with the hump in the middle. I said, what the hell is that? So, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I had to include that because yeah. I thought that was so fun. That's awesome. Um... That yeah. is the correct response to seeing that shape. Absolutely. Um, so he sees these two glowing red ovals in the sky. Um, one of them uh, flies away, and the other one kind of stops and begins lowering itself near Mahalik. Um, and as it lands, the red color fades to kind of an ordinary metal color. Um, it ends up being a saucer about 40 feet wide. Hmm. And as he stands there, Mahalik actually makes a sketch of it. Which maybe, oh. I'll, maybe I'll show you and you can kind of describe it for the yeah, listening okay. audience here. I mean, probably the best way to explain it is it does look kind of like a UFO, right? It's the saucer base and the little dome thing in the middle. That is exactly how I would describe yeah. it. Yeah, this looks like if you were to, if I just say, imagine a UFO, you were thinking about yeah. this thing that he's drawn 100%. Um, so he says it's, like, perfect. He can't see any seams or welding is part of what he really notices. Um, he also notices that there's a hatch on the side of the craft, which is about two feet wide. Hmm. Um, and there's kind of a, like, almost like a vent or, like, a grid on the side of it. Okay. Yeah. And gusts of warm air are coming from it. He can kind of hear a motor, but that's it at first. And so he actually starts looking for logos, like stickers. Yeah. Because he's thinking at first that it might be an American Air Force craft of some kind. Yeah, okay. So for context, that this is the Cold War, right? 1967. Yeah. That wouldn't be a crazy first thought if you're not a UFO-prone person and you see some kind of weird aircraft. Yeah. So he doesn't see any kind of logos, though. Um, 
And then the hatch opens, and a bright purple light shines out of it. Hmm. And he hears two voices inside talking, but he can't make out what they're saying. So he tries speaking to them, and what he says is, Okay, Yankee boys, having trouble? Come on out and we'll see what we can do about it. <laughs> so he still thinks it's Americans. Yes. Okay. Also a very polite way to greet aliens, I think. <laughs> Hello, Yankee boys. Yeah. <laughs> just seems like a very sweet man. Yeah. Much nicer than Will Smith in Independence Day. <laughs> what is he? I haven't he seen. goes, welcome to Earth, and he punches the alien in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, much nicer than that. Much more helpful. Um, so he gets no response. He tries again in several other languages. Um, yeah. He speaks, you know, Polish, Ukrainian, Russian, German, uh, French, and doesn't get an answer. So he steps closer so he can actually see into the hatch. And I have to say he's a little vague about what he sees inside. Okay. Um, he says that he sees kind of like lights crossing the interior. Okay. Um, and they're flashing on and off. And that's about all we get about what he saw inside. Okay. Um, so he touches the side of the craft and it's burning hot and it actually melts the kind of fingers on his glove. Oh. So we do have a picture of that if you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a sort of leatherish work glove and yeah some of the fingers are burnt yeah yeah it's a work glove with i think two of the fingers there look like they've been kind of singed or melted away almost um so the craft then tilts and a gust of hot air comes out of that vent that he saw okay. and hits him setting his shirt on fire oh which he then tears off yeah um Actually, can I show you, maybe without sound, I'll show you a little bit more of this Unsolved Mysteries clip, because it's very fun. Okay. And you can describe what we're seeing. Okay. You ready to describe Am I watching some... the reenactment? Is that You're what? watching the reenactment, <laughs> yes. Okay, so we've got a guy in a plaid shirt, and maybe one of the worst sort of animated UFOs I've seen. <laughs> That's why I needed to play this for you. <laughs> And there's like a sunburst thing in the corner, like we're watching the newer Star Trek movies, and this guy is creeping towards it so, so slowly. <laughs> is it more exciting with sound, or is it? No. <laughs> um, hang on, though. It, it gets more exciting in a second. Because he's moving at a real snail's pace. He's still walking towards it, guys. Oh, he puts on his safety glasses. <laughs> Very important when you see a UFO. Gotta wear your safety glasses. So the inside of it looks a bit like the inside of the TARDIS and Doctor Who. He takes off the safety glasses <laughs> once he's done looking inside. Okay, now he's touching it. <laughs> and he's taking the gloves off. It was hot. <laughs> I love this director commentary with Sabrina. <laughs> like... Oh, there's the vent. There it goes. Oh, and now his shirt's on fire. Oh, no. And it's not convincing at all. No. Um, <laughs> so that's what we get. It's a very cute episode of Unsolved Mysteries with just like delightfully outdated CGI. It's bad. It's bad. It was also um, filmed in South Dakota. So that looks nothing like the white show. No. <laughs> but I will post that if as long yeah. as it hasn't been taken down from YouTube because it's very fun. <laughs> okay. Um, I was looking at the YouTube comments. My favorite one said... Um, this poor guy is just following his passion for collecting rocks and ends up being set on fire by an alien spaceship after seeing there was a discotheque inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good description. Yeah. So anyway, back to the kind of like, well, real yeah. story of what happened. Um, 
after about 45 minutes, apparently, sitting next to this thing or standing next to it, the craft um, goes up and flies away. Okay. And so uh, Mahalik kind of collects himself, um, but realizes that he starts to feel sick almost immediately. Oh. Yeah. So he's got this pounding headache and he actually throws up. Oh. Yeah. And so he figures like, okay, I better walk back to town because something is wrong. So he starts walking back towards town, but he's got, like, spots in his eyes. Oh, no. His vision isn't straight. He's having trouble seeing his compass. Oh. Um, he's still nauseous and sweating. Mm. His head's pounding. He's, like, having to stop and throw up every now and then. So maybe time for, like, a sit or something? Yeah, maybe time for a sit down. <laughs> no, but I genuinely feel very sorry yeah. for him. This sounds awful. Um, he's also burnt on his chest where this gust of air had hit him. Hmm. Um, so he eventually finds, like, a path he's not familiar with, but follows it back to the highway. So he's on the highway now, but still has a ways to walk back to Falcon Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of staggering down the side of the highway, and sees a highway patrol officer, and so tries to flag him down. And actually, in the first account of this that I saw, it said that the patrol officer just thought he was drunk and ignored him. And I was like, oh, that's not great. Nope. But actually, um... In the officer's report, it he tells a bit of a different story. Oh, okay. So he says that at approximately 3 p.m., so this is like, apparently Mahalik's been walking back for like two or three hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like took him a while to get yeah. back. Um, he came across this guy walking across the shoulder of the highway towards Falcon Lake. Uh, he said he was wearing a gray cap, brown jacket with no shirt, and light-colored trousers. Said this subject, upon seeing the police car, began waving his arms excitedly. Um, so flagged him down, yeah. told him that he had seen two spaceships, um, but he was worried that he had some kind of radiation and didn't want the guy to get too close to him. Oh. Yeah. So he said he seemed very upset. Um, the officer said, I wanted to examine his shirt. However, he would not let me and kept backing away every time I got close to him. Okay. Um. He says, now, this is probably where the thing about him thinking that Mahalik was drunk comes from. He says, I could not smell the odor of liquor on Mahalik. His general appearance was not dissimilar to that of a person who has overindulged. I mean, he has just walked for two hours vomiting in the woods. And staggering, so... Without a shirt on, yeah, he wouldn't look right. No, that, like, that might realistically be what you think. Um, His eyes were bloodshot and, when questioned in detail, could or would not answer coherently. Just a side note here, English is not his first or probably even second language. Yeah. So, a little iffy on that one. So, he offered to drive him to Falcon Lake, um, but he said that he declined. Okay. And about half an hour later, he said he came to the detachment office and asked for him again, but wouldn't come inside. And basically asked for a doctor. So, this guy tells him there's no doctor there. The closest would be in Kenora or in Steinbeck. Yeah, that's a long drive either way. Yes. So, um, Mahalik then requested strongly that I not tell anyone what had happened to him as he did not want any publicity and said he would take the bus back. So, going back to Mahalik's account of this, he finally makes his way back to the Falcon Motor Mm -hmm. Hotel, which is where he's staying. By the way, I don't know if this is the same hotel that's there now, but I stayed at the hotel at Falcon Lake once and it was 
probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, we got, we had been staying at Falcon Trails, which is very nice. Yeah. And it was New Year's Eve and we got snowed in. But, like, our time renting yeah. the cabin had run out. So we had to go into Falcon Lake and stay at this hotel. And it was so gross. Oh, no. Like, the hallways were the worst smell I've smelled in my whole life. Was it, like, just years of, like, old cigarette smoke or what? Like, old cigarette smoke and, like, old beer, like, stale beer. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so motel smell. But, but, like, worse. <laughs> I don't know. It was really bad. There was a pool and it was, like, it was really cold. <laughs> like a and like a weird dark like water slide huh. it was very yeah. strange and bad i don't know hopefully it's better now that was several years ago so <laughs> i don't even know if it's the same hotel he might have been at a different one may have been nicer i think like yeah 60 years it ago. sounds like it was more just like a roadside motel so i'm not sure if it was the same one in any case so he makes his way back to the falcon motor hotel um but he hesitates before going in because and he says this now in his account he thinks that he might be radioactive so okay. this is why he yeah. apparently said no i don't want to come in no i don't want you to give me a ride he's like i think that i might be contamin contaminated yeah. with radioactivity so eventually he's like okay well i have to do something i'm obviously yeah. super sick so he finds the motel owner and tells him he needs a doctor, but there isn't one in town again. Um, so, like I said before, Falcon Lake isn't built up at this yeah. time like it is today. I've gone to a doctor in Falcon Lake. I'm pretty sure they yeah. have one now. So he just goes back to his motel room and rests for a while. Okay. Um, he calls his wife and he tells her there's been an accident, but he's okay. Um, but asks if their oldest son can meet him at the bus terminal in Winnipeg. So this poor guy has to take the bus home. Oh, God. How long of a bus ride is that? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, driving, it's two hours. So probably longer? Probably longer. Oh, God. Um, so he arrives back at 1045 that night, and his son meets him at the bus depot and immediately drives him to the hospital. Yeah. Um, at the hospital, Mahalik tells the doctor that he was burned by an airplane or kind of something like yeah. that. Um, so, so he's playing this pretty close to his chest so yeah. far. Yeah. So the doctor doesn't seem to believe there's anything unusual about his injuries. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's got these kind of burns and he's not feeling well, but the doctor doesn't seem to think, yeah. think there's anything all that strange about it. But in the aftermath, it does end up coming out pretty quickly that he saw a UFO. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would spread around pretty fast, yep. probably. And people seem to take a real interest in this story, especially locally. Um, and what's funny is that there are actually, like, a ton of UFO sightings in Manitoba. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Chris told me that there are something like two to 3,000 a year. What? Yeah, which is crazy. I think there, you know, there are people who track these things, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those are just like, I don't know, I saw a thing in the sky. I saw a weird thing. What else yep. could it be? Yeah. <laughs> Well, anything could be an unidentified totally, flying yeah. object. Like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, then we identified it was a helicopter. Yeah, <laughs> and I think a lot of the time it's like a weather balloon, a helicopter, yeah. <laughs> a satellite. Um, yeah, no, but actually I found an article the next day in the Tribune about how 20 people had seen a UFO over Lockport. Oh. So hmm. apparently lots of UFOs going on around this time. I feel like in the context of the Cold War, that's not that surprising. Well, also in the context of the space race. Yes, absolutely. People are thinking about space. They're looking up at space. There's more things in the sky. Yeah, I mean, probably also there's more, like, media about space coming absolutely. out, too, in terms of, like, 
I mean, comic books at the totally. time too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like space would be on the forefront of many people's minds. Star Trek. Yeah, right. That's yeah. coming out around then too. Yeah. Um, but I did find a couple of especially fun, uh, oh. Vulcan like UFO stories that I thought I'd tell you. So one of them, um, a server from the hotel talks about um how she saw a UFO and she says she was going on a date with her boyfriend to the dump. She says, okay, <laughs> a fun thing to do in the area at the time was to go to the garbage dump in the evening to watch the bears. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I guess people in Winnipeg go hang out at Garbage Hill, but there's less like literal garbage there. Yeah, we just go like tobogganing. Yeah. Um, but on their way home, they saw a silver object in the sky that followed them home. Okay. So that's all that one. I just really And that wasn't the thing a bear. <laughs> Unless it was like a sky bear. <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah. Um, later, um, one of the hotel owner's sons um, got a phone call from his friend who told him that he could hear like almost an electronic beeping noise coming from the woods near Penguin Resort. So they walked down the road to their house and heard this like electronic beep, beep, beep in the woods and took their flashlights and walked into the woods. But the source of the sound seemed to move and they couldn't find it. Hmm. They talked to a local trapper the next day who told them that it's the call of a particular owl, a sawet owl. So, <laughs> yes. So there Man, that must have been so disappointing to be like, we're on to something crazy. And yeah, so I think that happened. I think that happened shortly after what happened to yeah. Maholic. So I can see that you'd be like, is that the UFO? So. Yeah, like, is this the thing? Yes, but no, just an owl. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in any case, um, people, probably because a lot of stories are just like yeah. those ones, people take a real interest in this one. And Chris offered some insight too about, um, why people are so interested in this particular story. I maintain it's probably one of the most important cases in all of, uh, UFO history because it has everything that you would possibly want in a UFO case. Hmm. You have somebody who saw a... UFO up close, um, in fact, touched it. Um, he was injured by it. Um, there was radiation found. Um, he himself was injured. The government investigated. We have all the government records of this. We have the medical records. Uh, even the United States Air Force uh, sent investigators up to try and figure out what was going on. Um, there was material found at the site that's been tested uh, by a number of laboratories. You know, it has literally everything that, the, that a classic UFO case has, and yet has received relatively little attention. Yeah, so Chris there is saying, like, you know, in terms of, like, the grand scope of UFOs, this one, for whatever reason, hasn't gotten as much. Just, like, there's physical evidence then, technically, right? Yes. And, and there was so radiation? We'll get into that. Okay. That's, a little, that's a little taste of things to come there, for okay. sure. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, so the media sort of descend upon the Mahalik home in a way that actually becomes like pretty disruptive to their lives, unfortunately. Yeah. And like a lot of Chris Rutkowski's book is actually about that. So oh. he says like the title When They Appeared is less about like, it's not about aliens. Oh. It's actually Stan talking about like when the media and all these people showed up at their houses and basically wouldn't go away. Okay. And just like how disruptive yeah. that was to their lives. Um, so people start kind of, like, interrogating his friends and neighbors about what kind of guy he is. Oh. Um, and Mahalik's wife, Maria, especially, hates all of this. Yeah. She, like, 
she seems like a very kind of like straightforward person. Actually, just a side note that I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so she was also a member of the Polish resistance. Oh, cool. Eventually captured and sent to a concentration camp mm-hmm. um, by the Nazis um, and survived that. She and Stefan were separated for 10 years. Oh, wow. He, when he had to flee communist Poland and she wasn't able to yeah. join him immediately. So, yeah, she just seems like a super strong lady and just, like, there are many times in this story where it seems like Stefan is doing something that's, like, eh, going a little bit off track, a little yeah. funny, and she's, like, really putting her foot down. <laughs> being like, no, don't do that. We're going to do this thing that yeah. makes more sense. Um, yeah, so she is really not into all this media attention, and it mm-hmm. sounds like they have quite a lot of arguments about, like, I don't think you should be talking to these yeah. people, you know. We don't need to have this going on in our lives. Um, And so partly to deal with this, Mahalik eventually writes up an account of what happened, which Mm -hmm. is like a few pages long. And he has several copies printed so that he can just give these out to people who inquire. So as the media come, he can give it it to them. So that's where I got most of that story about what he saw. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Now, the RCMP take an interest in this pretty quickly. Um, and they begin searching for the spot where Mahalik claims to have seen the UFO. So again, we have to remember, this is the Cold War. So yeah, like an unidentified flying object yes. could have been the Russians. It could be the, yeah, those <laughs> commies. Um, yeah, I mean, no matter what it is, that's something to be concerned about, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, thinking about my dad was growing up in the 60s and 70s and what he would talk about when, like, going to school in rural Manitoba is doing, like, bomb drills mm-hmm. in case, like, nuclear war happened. Yeah, I remember my mom telling me she partly did not go on to grad school because she was worried about there being, like, a nuclear end to the world. Yeah, And so- she was like, life's too short for grad school. <laughs> I assume everyone would be, like, very concerned about, like, someone landing mysteriously. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So they want to try and find, of course, as much evidence as they can, as quickly as they can. The problem is that Mahalik is still super sick. Oh. So Stan, in the book, talks about how he was moved from his parents' bedroom, which he shared with them, into the basement, which he, like, found really scary. He was, like, a nine-year-old kid, and he didn't want to be sleeping in the basement. But also just, like, how serious that was, that they were like, you can't even be in the room, your dad's recovering, he's super sick. So he's basically bedridden. He's, like, nauseous, he's having headaches and blackouts now. Oh, um, and he's lost 15 pounds over, like, three or four days. Oh, that's not normal. No, it's not great. Um, there's also this really weird thing where he feels that he smells of sulfur. Like, oh. that there's a smell, like, coming almost from inside of him. Uh-huh. So this is, I'm not quite sure what to make of this, because the doctors say they can't smell it. His son says he could, so it's kind of like... But also, I guess, like, the kid is also nine. Yeah. So, I I don't really know. Like, yeah. anecdotally, I was trying to figure out, like, c- could that be anything? Why would someone smell like sulfur? And radiation can, I believe, affect your sense of smell. Oh. So, if, if we're to say that it is just him smelling this, in fact, yeah. it might actually be something about his sense of smell that could be hmm. affected if he had encountered radiation. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, so that's as far as I want to take that line of reasoning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the doctors can't really tell him much about why he's sick. Um, his burns seem kind of superficial. Um, 
seasickness, seasickness tablets seem to help. They say he isn't suffering from radiation. I don't really know how one tests for that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but also it's 1967, so I don't know how much doctors can tell you about <laughs> anything. like an easy at-home test. No. <laughs> I'm sure they just like wave a Geiger counter over him. Probably. And... Like, yeah. I'm sure they could tell you you're not radioactive, yeah. but I don't, I don't know how you diagnose radiation sickness. Um, but yeah, also this is really sad. Stan is bullied a bunch because people oh, think no. his father's like kind of a kook because he's like, oh, your dad saw a little green man. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that goes on for a while, which is too bad. Um, yeah, but so initially Mahalik is too sick to help in the search, mm-hmm. which dramatically slows down how long yeah. it takes to find this site again. So he gives them some directions. He gives them kind of this roughly drawn map, which I have here. So, yeah, you can kind of see that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. not That's not super helpful. No, it's like there's a little bit of there's like here's some water, there's a cliff where I was, here's a rock. Like you, probably it, it might help you remember where you saw a thing. I don't know that it would help someone else find a site. There is, in the I think, famously a lot of water and rocks in the white <laughs> shell. <laughs> that yes, there are a lot of both, that's true. Um yeah, I'll put that up on the on social media and on the website, but it's it wouldn't be super helpful. No. I mean, I don't know what else they expected him to do. No. Um, so they can't find it, unsurprisingly. Yeah. So eventually, when he is well enough, the RCMP actually take him out in an RCAF helicopter. Oh. To try and locate the spot, but he can't find it. Okay. Um, How long does it take him to recover? Quite a while. So it, like... After a while, he's kind of well enough to sort of be getting out of bed yeah. and then to get to work. But he actually continues being ill for, like, months. Oh, wow. It, like, it's quite a long illness. Um, but quite a lot of him is made of the fact that he can't initially find the site. Mm-hmm. And so Chris explained this a little bit to me, um, why that might not be as bad as yeah. some people say. Uh, some of the objections. Why didn't he tell people... Uh, uh, you know, uh, when he found the uh, the site, why did he go off with uh, with a friend? Why didn't he go off with uh, with a military person? Uh, there's some debate about how when they took him out to the site, just a matter of a few weeks after this had happened, he was still quite ill. But they flew Mr. Mahalik out by helicopter, mm-hmm. see if he could spot it from the air. They landed and then took him into the bush and they tromped around for literally a day um, and he couldn't find the site. Uh, but then went back um, by himself, or so not with by himself, but with uh, another friend, and they were able to find the site later. Um, but you know, what, the argument is, well, maybe they hadn't created the site yet, or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, why, you know, it was close to where that they had found it. But uh, you know, there's some debate about that. And yet, the site as described. Um, in a map that he had drawn for the RCMP and National Defense for them to be allowed to find the site, matched the area completely. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough to find. I mean, I, I was first out there in the, oh, late 70s, early 80s, and, you know, every, every rock and tree looks the same. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a good orienteer, or I wasn't a good orienteer back then. Um, 
And uh, in fact, when I was taken out there by somebody who said they knew where it was, uh, after we got back, they said, oh, you know what? We were in the wrong spot completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it took a, a little while, but now it's actually to the point where um, uh, the GPS coordinates have uh, been plotted and we know exactly where this, this site was. And it's too bad that wasn't available back in the 60s. Right. Yeah. I mean, if any of our listeners have been out to the white shell, I mean, you have to know that the second you get off a trail, you're going to get lost pretty fast. And I have to imagine that back then Falcon Lake was not built up in the way that it is today. Yeah, indeed. And and when uh, the, um, the encounter occurred, it was um, middle of May and the trees had not yet budded um, and with leaves. And when they did take Mr. Mihalik out there three weeks or so, a little bit longer uh, after the event, the trees had leaves on them and he mm, just simply yeah. couldn't find his way around. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting because I think he had mentioned that, you know, everything looked different, but I, I hadn't quite put two and two together that that's part of why it was. Yeah, so pretty hard to find things out in the white shell. Yeah, I mean, also, like, presumably if you, like, woke up early were attacked by a spaceship kind of <laughs> you might be a little confused when you get back well like and i think the fact that they took him out by helicopter yeah i actually think i'd have a super hard time finding something by helicopter yeah that i, that I had previously visited on foot yeah because you're viewing the entire landscape from a completely different direction yeah and the other thing chris mentioned and which i hadn't put together is mahalik said like well between the time that i had been there and when they took me there everything looked completely different the had reason the seasons, changed? the seasons had changed. Yeah, it was May when he went out. The trees had just barely budded, and then it's like well into June by the time they go back, everything's all green and grown. Yeah. And so, yeah, it actually ultimately turned out that when he had taken them out, they had been super close the first time they went out. There was just a big bush basically <laughs> between where they had been and where it was. Um, unfortunately, though, this also ruins a potential story with Life magazine. Oh no. Which it sounds like Mahalik was super excited about. They like brought out a camera crew and oh. everything and then can't find the site. So they all kind of come back to Winnipeg like disappointed yeah. and annoyed. Um, and this seems to kind of be the beginning of the like downfall of the relationship between Mahalik and the RCMP and like the RCAF yeah. and these other groups. Because before this, they'd been kind of working together yeah. quite nicely. Um, but... The RCMP really starts annoying Mahalik by the sound of it. Oh, no. Yeah. So also kind of the main guy who's working with them keeps annoying Maria, Mahalik's wife, by smoking his cigar in their house. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a rude house guest. He's a rude house guest. And he's like asking all these rude questions. Um, They inquire like a whole bunch into whether or not he had had anything to drink the night before. Okay. So there's this whole thing where, like, they ask him, and he says, no, I didn't have anything to drink. And then they ask the hotel owner, who says, oh, yeah, I served him four or five beers the night before. To me, this kind of seems irrelevant. I've had four or five drinks before. I did not see a spaceship the next day. Yeah, it's not, like, that much, especially assuming you're, like, a fully grown yeah, man. Yeah, this is a 50-year-old man from the former Soviet Union. Yeah. I mean, stereotypes I aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think that would make you see a spaceship the next day, like 14 no. hours later. Um, yeah, so I, to me, that seemed kind of irrelevant. Um, there's also, like, in their little interrogation, they're asking him, like, how's your eyesight? I'm like, also seems irrelevant. Yeah. It's not like he's saying this is something he saw far off in the distance. 
most of the things they investigate do seem to check out, like the things that yeah. they can verify about when he left, when he got home, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, certainly, though, not everyone is taking this story seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this letter in Chris Rutkowski's book. Um, it's from the Department of Geology at the University of Manitoba. Um, and... The guy here says, uh, you know, okay, you brought up this um, Falcon Lake sighting. And uh, he says, when I got home from Ottawa, I found the latest paper had an article on the latest or most up-to-date account of it and thought you might like to have a copy of it for your files. You can see that it must be an authentic saucer because of the drawing made at the site. Four exclamation marks. (laughs) So a little sarcastic. Yes, for sure. A little sarcastic. Um, and that's definitely how some people are treating it, which is, yeah. I think, not surprising or entirely unfair. <laughs> how is the local media treating it? Um, the Tribune is super into this story. Oh, interesting. I would assume the Tribune would have been into mocking it. Um, no, the Tribune is actually like, no, I don't know that they pre- present it in a way where they're like, this definitely happened. Um, but they're definitely presenting it in a way of like, oh, look at this interesting thing. I they I don't feel like they're super mocking it. Okay, it's funny actually because they print so many stories on this when there's very little actually after the first yeah. bit to even talk about. It's just like they're just interested. Remember that guy who saw a UFO? They're still looking for the site. Like, <laughs> oh, people are coming from Colorado to look for the site they're still looking yeah so, so it's not really news past no, a certain point no but there's several articles like that it's clickbait <laughs> yeah <laughs> so actually here's the i think this is the first story that runs i was burned by a ufo says city man yep so yep. pretty straightforward and yeah there's uh he's in that photo there with a picture of the sketch that he made yeah, and then the little kind of subtitle here is Steve Mahalik, after hospital treatment for burns, shows his sketch of the UFO. Okay. By the way, you'll see him referred to as Steve sometimes. It's one of those things where people anglicize their names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another weird thing, though, is that his burns keep reappearing. Oh. Um, I actually don't know that that's that weird. Um, you know Ono, Ross, and Carrie? Yeah. Remember Ross, he burned his foot in like a fire walk like years ago and has still has eczema. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that's not that weird. The burns, though, do appear to be in this kind of like grid pattern, which is weird. So like he was hit with it and not like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little confusing because presumably that hit him through his shirt. Yeah. I don't know if you can see this all that well. Let me see if I can zoom in on the burns here. Okay, yeah, it does kind of look like a grid pattern on yeah. his chest. So, and I guess he's claiming that that came out of, like, a vent or a grid yeah. on the side of this thing. Um, now, in that clip that I played of Chris Rutkowski, he mentioned that Mihalik had found the site with a friend. Mm-hmm. And this friend is a super interesting side note. Yeah? Yes. Um, so, this guy kind of just, like, shows up at their house one day. Okay. And he basically says, like, oh, I have a cabin at Falcon Lake. Or he, like, knows a guy with a cabin at Falcon Lake. And he offers Mahalik his cabin as a kind of, like, home base that he can use to search from as he's feeling well enough. Okay. This guy's name is Gerald or Gary Hart. And Sabrina, I can only describe him as a spiritual successor to Ginger Snooks. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I love him already. Yes. But I will say also a man showing up and being like, I have a cabin in the woods seems like the start of like a horror movie. <laughs> That's true. I Where had... like he brings you to the woods and then hunts you for sport. <laughs> Yeah, uh, horrifying. That does not happen, but there's many, <laughs> okay. many other weird things. Um, so Gary Hart is the owner of an electronics store, okay. the front of which is plastered with anti-government cartoons, which are drawn by his business partner. Okay, He is loud and boisterous and prone to cursing. Does Maria hate him? Maria hates him. <laughs> yes. Um, she actually, eventually, the way he gets out of the picture is she bans him from their house. <laughs> Again, yeah. love Maria. So he's extremely annoying. He's extremely annoying. He is also, most notably, a public tax avoider. <laughs> okay. So he had been arrested and taken to court for this multiple times. So in 1959, he made the papers because he filed a tax return for his business, which he had to do with only comments and no numbers in it. <laughs> so it was things like, do you have any loans? What with? Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or uh, like accounts and numbers, none available. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he actually eventually won on that because they ruled that he did, in fact, file a tax return. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He runs for city council. Of course. Okay. On an anti-tax <laughs> platform. I don't know what else he had to say. That seems like about it. Um, he at one point has his company's provincial uh, business charter revoked for failure to pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, okay. He wrote a book titled Effective Tax Evasion. <laughs> wow, this is really his whole deal, huh? It is his whole deal. Yeah, so in 1968, he goes to court once again for failure to pay taxes. In this case, specifically this like hospital insurance, which okay. was new at this point. And he shows up draped in a union jack and <laughs> with his legs chained. Huh. You want to see a picture of him? I do so badly. <laughs> Is it of him in a union jack? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's just an old guy wearing a union jack like a cape. And a chain around, like, his whole neck there. Oh, okay. And, yeah, it says flagged and chained is the uh, <laughs> the title there. It's like a really patriotic version of the ghost in A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, there's another one where... Oh, here we go. He's got, <laughs> He's like... wearing a badge that says something, something taxes. It says, mort au tax, death to taxes. I don't know why it's in French. I don't think he was French. No, but there's also a skull in the middle, isn't there? <laughs> yes. Wow, this guy hates taxes. Yeah, he hated taxes. Um, yeah, so actually in that 1968 case, he eventually serves a two-month sentence. He asked to be let out early in exchange for leaving Canada immediately, probably for southern Rhodesia. <laughs> this is a quote here. Because the country is the last bastion of Christian freedom and it's entirely anti-communist. Okay. <laughs> anyway... That's just a fun little sidebar there. But then also, presumably, he doesn't leave the... Does he leave the country? I don't think so. Uh, he's back in the paper in, like, 1970 for tax evasion again, so I don't think he did. <laughs> so, this but is But they the guy... actually let him out on the promise to maybe go to... No, so... I think he just served his two months. Okay. <laughs> um... I, I do love that that made the paper, though, that he was just like, can I get out of jail, please? And they're like... No, oh. that's not how this works. 
So, also, I'm pretty sure Rhodesia also had taxes. I think most places do. I think so. He's going to be very upset. Um, but yeah, so this is the guy who kind of works his way into Mahalik's life. Okay. And becomes friends with him. And um, they return together to search without telling the RCMP or the RCAF. Okay. And Maria is actually super upset about this. And apparently thinks about calling the RCMP to tell them. <laughs> it's, it's unclear whether she does or not, but she definitely considers, yeah. like, ratting on her husband. <laughs> and, uh, like, all respect to yeah. her. She probably should have. <laughs> um, so... They do, in fact, find the site together out there searching, um, along with some things that um, Mahalik had apparently left behind at the site. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so other there people was not, like, like, gone out there, like, tromping through the woods to find it, independent of this? Good question. I think, um, like, the RCMP had for sure. I don't know if individual people had been looking for it. I don't know if they would know what to look for. Yeah. Um, definitely later on, civilian yeah. organizations get involved. Okay. But, um, like, this is still only a few weeks yeah, after okay, kind of the original thing. But, yeah, I do feel like today you'd have a million people out there. Oh, yeah, like, instantly. Yeah. I mean, also, like, it would be pretty hard not knowing any directions just to tromp around the forest in the white shell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Mahalik has kind of switched tone now because he becomes vocally annoyed and suspicious with the RCMP and their investigation into his life. Is it because his anti-tax, anti-government friend has appeared? That's what Maria and Stan think. So he starts fighting with his wife. He's also parroting Hart's language using phrases like the snivel service. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. That's very stupid. So... Stefan, like he's just been taken under the wing of this ridiculous man. <laughs> this this tax evading lunatic. Yeah, but like who I guess kind of is like the only guy who's like, look, let's just go and search at your own pace and like helps him out. Um, but yeah, so Mahalik actually refuses to take the RCMP to the site initially oh. because, and I think this is probably under the influence of Hart, he says that he wants to formalize his mineral like his mineral rights to the land first before he turns over like any materials oh yeah huh okay he also demands that gary hart be involved oh yes mm. so yeah it's it's a very weird thing yeah so maria eventually bans hart from their home and he does sort of like and actually the investigation is suspended until hart is out of the way and wow yeah because the rcmp are just like we can't work with this guy <laughs> Um, and he does just kind of fade away after yeah. a while, I think, probably thanks to Maria there. Um, <laughs> I mean, good. This guy seems Yes, but I awful. think this had kind of, like, permanently damaged Mahalik's yeah. relationship with the RCMP yeah. at this point. Um, also, nothing ever comes of those mineral rights. Oh. So, like, he never actually, like, goes yeah. out there and mines that quartz. So, I, you know, I think that was probably just some weird stand he felt like he had yeah. to take. Okay. I don't know. So eventually they do talk him into leading them to the site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it turns out they had just been basically one big bush away from <laughs> yeah. finding it. Um, now, one weird thing is that the site had actually been in range of a forest ranger tower. Oh. So there's certainly an argument to be made that if there had been a UFO there, the forest ranger would have seen it. 
if the forest ranger was paying attention. Yes. I mean, this is the other thing. We've all had boring jobs where we're like, eh, I could be looking out the window or I could not. Or I could take a nap instead. Yes. Um, or he could have just been looking the other way. Yeah. Right. There's a lot to see in the light show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is this kind of physical evidence found yeah. at the site. He left behind like his tape measure and some other stuff. And there's, um, Chris Rutkowski describes it as kind of like a tug of war with the physical evidence. Okay. Um, or Stan Mahalik may have, um, described it that way actually. But yeah, most of it is kind of misplaced over the years actually, unfortunately. A lot of what we don't have anymore. Um, unfortunately it also hurts Mahalik's case that he took all of this evidence back with him and didn't leave it at the site. Okay. Yeah. So I guess they can say, like, well, you could have just had that stuff whenever yeah. it wasn't at the site. But then also equally, if he had left it at the site, they could say you planted it here. So Yeah, like I don't there's no winning there, I don't think. Yes. Um, and there's quite a bit of debate over whether or not there is actually any physical indication at the site of what happened. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't appear like the ground is kind of, like, burned or anything. Okay. Um, it does seem like maybe some debris has been kind of blown back in, like, a circle. Okay. But you could do that pretty easily, I think. Yeah. Um, some people say there were no broken branches. Some people say there were broken branches. So it's like... But either way, also, I don't think broken branches are a huge anomaly in the wilderness. No, definitely not. But I guess the idea is that if there had been this, like, 45-foot-long spaceship in this clearing, probably it would have been left behind yeah. some physical evidence, which they can't see at this point. But now we get into the radiation stuff. Okay. Um... So some of the physical evidence that Mahalik brings back from the site is found to be radioactive. Oh. So there's kind of a tape measure and dirt and debris, which yeah. he kind of puts together in like a single bag and brings back with him, which is found to be radioactive. Mm-hmm. So it could be, I guess, any one yeah. of those things because they're all together. Um, and there are initially some pretty significant concerns about this, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um. Especially from Maria, who's concerned that he may have brought radioactive materials into their home. Yeah. <laughs> That's not great. Yes. And also the RCMP are concerned that perhaps the site should be closed off. Yeah. If it's super radioactive there. So this is when Maria kind of sits down with Mahalik and is like, you need to be cooperating in this. You've brought radiation into our home. This is a serious thing. This isn't just you and your UFO at this point, right? Yeah. This is like radioactive material. We need to figure this out. So he does agree, and the federal authorities come at that point and test the house for radiation. Okay. And they find that it's okay. Oh, good. Yeah. So no one's been contaminated here, which is good. Um, now, the federal authorities begin looking for places that Mahalik could have acquired radioactive materials in order to contaminate the site. There's this whole weird huh. kind of interlude there. We'll talk a little more about that later. Um, They check the site itself to see if it's radioactive. There's actually, though, this I didn't know, there's an ambient level of radiation in the white shell. Oh. Yeah. So I guess there's a lot of granite, which is just slightly radioactive. Okay. Yeah. Um, So there's like a slightly slightly higher level at the site, but not high enough to be super dangerous. And probably would it not be enough to, like, if you left your tape measure there for a couple of weeks, would your tape measure then be radioactive later? Potentially, I, I don't know. I guess the know. dirt in the bag could have been what did it. Yes, that's the yeah. thing. Like, if he put this, like, base level radiation dirt in with this tape measure, it could just be that. Yeah. But I don't know what the levels are here. The specific, yeah. like, how radioactive yeah. every specific bit of evidence was. <laughs> that's someone else's area yeah, of expertise. Yeah, fair. 
Um, there's also this odd sidebar where, so there's an organization called APRO, mm-hmm. um, American, no, the something paranormal research organization. And then there's CAPRO, which is the Canadian version of that. Okay. So CAPRO kind of becomes involved with this and mm-hmm. they're like talking to Mahalik and he's just like happy to have people who aren't calling him kooky. Yeah. Um, but at some point they realized that Capro had printed the story in their kind of newsletter thing, asking for help for this needy Winnipeg family and oh. for money to be sent to them, but not using Mahalik's address, using oh. the address of this guy, Barry Thompson, who was like affiliated with Capro. I thought, I thought good old Gary Hart was going to turn up again. <laughs> no, <laughs> just like everyone is out screwing Mahalik. It's very sad. And also just like selling his little book that he had written. Yeah. But also, again, not getting that money to... So, like, they never made that money. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, it's super weird. Not very nice. Um, And Mahalik is still sick. Oh, no. Yeah, so actually, it might have been nice for them to have some of that money. Because he was out of his job for quite a while. Yeah, he continues to be ill kind of off and on. Which, if you're working as a machinist, is not really... Or a mechanic is not really something you can be. He's having dizziness, rashes, fainting spells... One day he's back at work in the concrete plant and he begins to swell and turn purple and he blacks out. Oh, that's dangerous. Yeah. So the doctors think that that may have been an allergic reaction, but they don't know to what. Oh. And so he recovers and they're never really sure what that was. Hmm. So could be entirely unrelated. There's also one thing that I began thinking about is the fact that he's working in this cement plant. And, like, who knows what kind of chemicals in 1967 he may have been exposed to there. Like, could some of this illness be attributed to that? Yeah, to, like, long-term work in a factory, essentially. Totally. And especially the fact that, like, here he gets this, like, acute bout of that while he's at work. Yeah. So, I don't know. Another weird interlude. There are so many of the weird little interludes. um, Is that a year later, men show up at the house. So... This is in Stan's kind of story here. And so he was a kid. He wasn't really sure where they came from. But they have Stefan undergo hypnosis. Oh. Yeah. Recording the session. And so I'm really not sure what to make of this. Apparently he just recounts the story again. Like he'd already done that. So I don't know if that really does anything for or against it. But anytime I hear hypnosis, I'm like, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) That might not work. That might be a weird thing. Um, but back on the radiation stuff, Mahalik mm-hmm. and this guy named Marty go out to the site again with a Geiger counter this time. Oh, okay. So before they had just yeah. kind of come back with all this stuff and then found out it was radioactive. And they realize that the radiation is concentrated on a crack in the rock and they find small pieces of silver in there, in this crack in the rock, along with a couple of larger pieces that kind of conform to the shape of the crack. Okay. So a bit of this was kind of over my head. So I had Chris explain some of it yeah, to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and what was found um, at the site itself by the RCMP and the Air Force um, was sort of like um, residual radiation um, or granular particles uh, with some radioactive materials within it. Um, there's, there's a debate as to whether it was caused by uh, radium. Um, in fact, uh, the one prevailing theory that it was either deposited there by somebody who had actually, this is actually, we have the documentation of this, that the uh, 
the uh, RCMP and the Air Force actually went to a nuclear waste disposal site hmm. in Manitoba to see if somebody had dug up nuclear waste and taken it off to Falcon Lake because they okay. were that concerned. Um, but then the other, the, the, the material that was found a year later um, is actually um, melted silver with um, uh, uranium ore uh, sprinkled on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it radioactive. And how that got there, uh, you know, is, is part of the mystery. Right. Um, so it's it certainly is a, a baffling, baffling kind of case. Yeah, I, I really love that the expert on this is like, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? It's baffling. Um, yeah, so there's suspicion that maybe someone could have planted these pieces. That seems like a weird place to hide it, though. Like, in, like in, a... in the rock? Well, I guess so. They say that the silver that was found was like in its composition, similar to just like sheet metal that okay. you would get. So it is something that you could obtain. Yeah. The harder thing to obtain would be... Uranium? Yeah. And so this is the bit that's kind of over my head. There's some debate about whether it's radium or uranium. And the reason that's significant is that radium was used... Do you know what for? Oh, is it for painting stuff too? Oh, uh, sort of. Okay. Um, For wristwatches. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's where I was yes. getting at. Yeah. yeah, that's where you were going. Um, yeah, so to make wristwatches glow, glow it was painted yeah. on. Yeah, so this is where we get, like, the radium girls, right? Who were slowly poisoning themselves by licking the tips yeah. of their of their paintbrushes. Yeah. So there's some accusation that it had simply been scraped off the front of a wristwatch and then, like, uh -huh. sprinkled on these pieces of silver. But if it was uranium, you can't just get uranium anywhere. Yeah, yeah so they go and they check out this nuclear dump site yeah. essentially at east braintree and don't find tampering there that would be pretty serious if there had yeah. been tampering um but yeah there's you know who could have planted those could have been like could have been maholic could have been gary hart maybe yeah <laughs> seems like a weird guy could it have been like barry thompson and capro who knows who knows yeah. or maybe they were just there um but also um some of the officials recall being kind of horrified that Mahalik was like handling these radioactive materials with his bare hands also. <laughs> That's not great. No. And so they have to kind of talk to him about like, don't do that. Yep. Um, the other weird thing is that a previous search by a member of the department of mines and natural resources had not found radioactive material. Had they gone out there with a the Geiger counter too then? Well, I would assume so. Yeah. Okay. But, but they find these bits sort of in a crack in the rock. So I guess yeah. it's possible you might miss that. Yeah. It sounds like they kind of had to chisel into the rock to get them out. Um, now, at this point, Mahalik is still experiencing headaches and blackouts. So he actually ends up paying for private treatment at the, May at the Mayo Clinic in the oh, States. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he pays for these kind of tests and treatments as an outpatient. Um. And they think that there's a possibility that whatever chemicals were in the air that he had breathed in might be causing what was going on with him. Um, but again, he also worked at a cement plant. Yeah. Could it just be that that made him sick? I think that's possible. Um, but basically, the prognosis is that he would get better as whatever it was worked its way through his system. All right. It's been a while at that point. Though. Yes. Um, but that does actually prove to be correct. He does yeah. just slowly get better. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. So... Though he gets home, though, and it takes a while for them to send, like, their reports on all yeah. these tests they've done. And so he gets annoyed. 
and he contacts Capro, who contact Apro, <laughs> who contact the Mayo Clinic, who to, so that they can basically yeah. say like, hey, can you send this guy his test results? Yeah. And they deny having had him as a patient. Oh. Yes. So this is when there start to be arguments about was this a cover-up? Because around the same time, um, an MP asks for these various reports from the RCMP, yeah. RCAF, Department of Minerals and Geology. Um, they ask for all of these reports to be released, and this request is refused in the House of Commons. Oh. So there start to be rumors about, like, is there some kind of cover-up See, here? See, now it's the X-Files. Yes, now it's the X-Files. <laughs> it turns out, though, the thing with the Mayo Clinic was just that they couldn't release well, they, this medical information. Yeah, they couldn't talk about having a patient, obviously. Yes, so it's funny because they had sent this really kind of, like, obs- like opaque message yep. being, like, like, very, like, being, like, we did not have this man as a patient. I suspect that if we had, we would not be able to tell you. So, like, I think in, in retrospect, it's kind of like, oh, right. There so, are laws about that. Yeah, so they just get him to send in a letter being like, yes, that you can release my information, yeah. and then they release it. And so, yes, he was a patient at the Mayo yeah. Clinic. No one's covering things up. <laughs> and most of those reports, now the stuff from the RCMP, we have them. They're not, yeah. they're not super crazy. Um, yeah, but it's never resolved whether he had some kind of chemical poisoning, radiation poisoning, an allergic reaction, or mm-hmm. what. We don't really know why he got sick. Um, so I thought we could go into theories a little bit. Okay. Of what happened. So, first theory, obviously, um, could it have been a hoax perpetrated by Mahalik? And um, so I got Chris to answer me about why he thinks it's not a hoax. Okay. Well, no, and people say, well, I, I'm advocating that it was an alien spaceship sometimes, but I'm not. I, I in mm-hmm. fact, I, I, I really don't think it was. But if it's not, then as to what it might have been is is really quite a mystery. If it, the, uh, the reason, what, some of the reasons why I think it's uh, not a hoax by Mr. Mihalik is that I mean he he didn't have a reputation as a practical joker, and this right. would have taken. You know some effort to to uh, you know to carry out. Um, he stuck by his story. Um, uh, his son uh, Stan verified that uh, you know his family stuck by him, and um, Stan's mother, uh, the witness's wife, you know, he she was pretty adamant that you know let's get to the bottom of this, and this there better not be any funny business <laughs> uh, uh, involved what whatsoever. So she was pretty very very pragmatic uh, person, um, and there was I mean it did more damage to the family than anything else. There was they didn't make any money on on this by selling the story to the National Enquirer or whatever existed in, mm-hmm. in 1967, um, uh, and. Uh, I mean, he was physically injured. Now, you know, yeah. I suppose the, the skeptics and debunkers could say, well, you know, you know, it's just the cost of practical joking is that you might injure yourself. But I mean, he was seriously injured. And yeah. uh, the doctors themselves were a bit mystified because um, his, um, his burns and uh, sort of a rash reoccurred several times. He was administ- admitted to the hospital a couple of times because he got very sick at work. Um, it just doesn't sound as though that this would have been a hoax uh, at all. And when you think about it, he, you know, he, uh, he there was a well-established 
um, timeline from the time he left home to the time he got to Falcon Lake. And uh, people did say that uh, they knew that he traveled into the bush um, and uh, it was some distance off, off the highway into a very heavily forested area. Uh, the site that one was found uh, was uh, some distance away, but matched his description perfectly. Um, you know, there's, it, it just has too many elements that, that don't seem to be what a hoax would, would be like. Right. Um, and he could have embellished it a, a lot more. Like, why didn't he say he did see creatures? Uh, why did he describe the UFO the way he did? I mean, he, he really could have gone to town on it. Yeah. And yet there's so many elements that are missing from this. Yeah, so Chris obviously doesn't think it's a hoax. But he also doesn't think it's an alien spaceship. So what no. does Chris think it is? It's a great question. And I, I asked him and I, I don't think he gave me a super solid answer. I think he sort of said like, well, I don't think it was aliens. I don't think it was a hoax. I don't think it was a real aircraft. So I'm we like, just don't know what that's, it is. We just kind of don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I some of that... I think is convincing to me. Some of it is less so. I tend not to think it was at least a hoax yeah. perpetrated by Maholic. He just it seems like a lot of work for a middle-aged guy to pull off for no reason. Yes, especially someone who had largely been just like a normal, reliable yeah. guy. For him to do that out of nowhere seems weird. And also just like to be out of work for so long. Like he yeah. unsuccessfully pulled it off. Like yeah. It's yeah. not like everyone believed him and everyone saw aliens. It was like he spent what his rest of his life trying to explain to people that this thing happened and everyone's like yeah sure pal yeah yeah like it didn't turn out all that well for him if it was yeah. a hoax and i think but i think probably the best evidence that it wasn't is just how ill he got yeah like i don't think that that would be something you could fake unless he was like playing around with radiation somehow trying to set this up but that yeah. seems unlikely um i do think that like sometimes people carry on with a lie well past when it makes sense like the thing about well he kept this up his whole life i don't find that super convincing no because you know like whatever maybe you lie to your wife the next day because you got too drunk and you fell in a bonfire yeah and then you have to keep lying because you don't want to admit it and then you have to keep that up the rest of your life and sometimes it happens yeah <laughs> but i don't think that's like the best explanation no that seems pretty uncharitable to him as well. Yes. And yeah, I, I don't want to be uncharitable to him because he seems like he was like a super sweet guy, really yeah. solid dad. And yeah. Um, another theory is that Mahalik did see something that his story was true, but that someone else added to the site. Okay. So like those pieces of radioactivity yeah. and stuff that someone else, maybe, maybe Gary Hart, yeah. the crazy tax man. Yeah showed up and like added weird pieces of radioactive silver um was it aliens it's another theory do you think <laughs> probably not i mean but also we'll never know we'll never know cue the x-files theme <laughs> no i think like even it is the end of every x-files episode of, like <laughs> yeah. Mulder sees an alien scully's like was it yeah I know I had held an alien baby in my hands, but wasn't. <laughs> um, no, but I think, like, even if we take everything that Mahalik said at his word 100%, there's, like, not actually any evidence here that it was an, an alien thing. Right? Yeah. Like, he didn't see an alien being. He doesn't claim yeah. to have been abducted. He just said that this was a weird ship. That's basically the only evidence. Yeah, so like, it could have just been a weird ship. Yes, um, could it have been just an ordinary, like, 
rocket ship, just a regular human-built rocket ship mm. of some kind. Now, this is where I've got our special guest, who is, in fact, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad is a former rocket scientist, which mm -hmm. is why I talked to him about this, not just because he's my dad. <laughs> um, okay, so I think this is worth, like, since this is, like, the science bit, I think it's probably worth putting the whole thing in here, but I might just play a little bit of this for you guys because okay. it's a little bit longer. Um, I'll skip the bit where he tells me about who he is. Because, <laughs> yeah, we know your dad. We know my dad. Well, Nick doesn't, but... I know he's a former rocket scientist. There you go. Worked on solid propellants. Kay. Offers me vitamins when I go by their house. <laughs> uh, all right. So do you want to tell me a little bit about who you are and what your background is? So, sure. Um, I'm your dad, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the most important thing. That's, that's what yeah. means that you know everything. Yeah, so I already know everything. Um, so I'm I'm a chemist uh, by by training. I have a, a master's degree in chemistry, and uh, I guess what's pertinent to uh, to having this talk is that I, I worked as a, a rocket scientist for about ten years, and uh, that was at what used to be called Bristol Aerospace. Uh, it used to be billed as the largest aerospace company in Western Canada. I don't know if it still is. And it's since then been renamed as Magellan Aerospace, so people might know it better as that. So uh, yeah, so I worked there for about 10 years, and I was worked mostly on what was called the Black Brand, which is a strange name, and uh, it was a rocket. And so what I wanted to talk about is basically, um, you've, you've humored me by reading this uh, UFO encounter story. And there's like, I guess, a lot of different possibilities for what could have happened here. But what I wanted to talk to you about is just kind of like, is this a plausible, actual thing that could exist, I suppose? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to say, right? Yeah. Because there's so much, there's so much going on and, and so much you could speculate about. Um, so my background is in what they call solid propellants, which is basically... Uh, a mixture of kind of a rubbery material and what's called an oxidizer that burns very hot and produces a lot of uh, gas that makes the rocket go in the other direction. So looking at the the story you sent me, there's, there's some interesting things. One is that the guy apparently reeked of sulfur afterwards. Yeah, that's very with, strange, hey? Yeah. So that kind of stood out to me. The other thing is that supposedly there was some residual radiation. So that was a little odd as well. He became very ill afterwards. Yeah, so I think when I had talked to you about that originally, I had said like, oh, could that be something like radiation poisoning? And I think you had said something to me like, well, also, if you're just breathing in a bunch of like exhaust, that might make you ill, right? Yeah, right. Because sometimes these exhausts are are toxic or they can be toxic the other thing is that he was burned but not super badly burned oh so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean his his shirt was burned but he wasn't you know incinerated or whatever yeah. so <laughs> um so if I kind of you know if you think well this was the the kind of science fiction you know rocket powered UFO or something like that for a rocket you know kind of the traditional one where there's something burning in a chamber and being expelled the exhaust temperature is about 3,000 degrees. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you were standing, you know, in front of a UFO that was beginning to blast off and, and you know, catching this sort of exhaust stream, he, he would have suffered more than a little bit of a charred shirt. Right, because at this point, I think he says he was right beside it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there was some kind of, it was also a little odd because I think there was a port on the side of the machine, mm -hmm. you know, rather than on the base where you would expect it. But yeah, so, you know, some kind of hot gases came out and, but it wasn't the temperature you would expect from kind of a standard propulsion unit. What if it was like off for a while? Is that, <laughs> I don't know, is that anything? <laughs> I mean, not really, you know, the, the idea is that, I mean, there's, there's, you can have all kinds of science fiction ideas of things that you can use to propel a, a spacecraft, I guess, or, but the majority of them, there's, there's very hot gases coming out, you know, immediately when it would start up. So it's, it's hard to see a scenario where there would just be a somewhat hot gas, you know, hot right. enough to, to injure him, but not to cause really severe damage. The other thing is this idea of the, the sulfur smell, because there's not a lot of propulsion systems that would throw out a ton of sulfur, you know, to the extent that you would reek of it for hours or days afterwards. So, mm -hmm. so that's very odd as well. Um, yeah, there's a few other kind of odd things that maybe we can go through. One of them is that the saucer apparently starts out red and then kind of dulls down to more of like a normal steel color. Yeah. Is that a thing that could happen? So, you know, from a, a rocket perspective or thinking of some kind of propulsion system, it's hard to see that happening. Mm -hmm. So like I was saying, if you have some hot gases come out, if there were surrounding surfaces that were being exposed to that, they might start to glow red hot or you mm -hmm. might see something like that, but you wouldn't expect them to cool down within minutes, which oh, is yeah. what, he, what he seems to be saying. Right. Um, another thing is he says that he saw like a screen or a vent on the side of it. Right. Is that something that you would have? Not really for, you would expect that for maybe something a bit more everyday, like a cooling right. system or something like that, yeah. you know, some kind of air intake or a filter, but not really for a, a propulsion system. You usually have some kind of nozzle. So it's a, if you think almost like an ice cream cone with the, the end chopped off. You, right. Um, so it wouldn't really have a screen. It wouldn't really match that description that he's, that he's giving you. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you're in outer space, you probably don't want a ventilation system. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, yeah. This, okay, this is the last bit. A while afterwards, they apparently find um, kind of in a like crevice on the rock underneath bits of like radioactive silver, like molten silver with like bits of radiation on it, essentially. I can't think of why even a UFO would throw off bits of radioactive metal. No, it, it doesn't really make sense if you were thinking, you know, even if you were designing your own spacecraft, you wouldn't want to be throwing radioactive metal all over yeah. the place. <laughs> it's just not a very good idea. Um, as well, for a propulsion system, really what you want is as much gas as possible coming out. You don't want to throw bits of solids out like metals um, right. because they, they don't actually help you propel your, your craft very well. So most propulsion systems are carefully made to make sure that there's nothing sort of solid or metallic coming out. It's all, all get, uh, hot gases. So the point that the idea that this is happening doesn't really fit with anything that would really make a lot of sense. 
Great. Um, it, you know, assuming that everything's working normally. So then I guess you can start to think about, well, was there something going wrong? You know, oh, is yeah. that why? Right. So, yeah, so that's kind of where that would lead me is to think about was something messed up that it was, you know, that craft, assuming it's all real, right? Taking this yes. all at face value. Was there something that wasn't working properly? Right. But I guess overall, I think you're saying it doesn't really sound like um, a, a rocket ship that would function. No, exactly. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't add up. Like a lot of the things don't work the way you would think they would. I guess you could, if you wanted to go into the realm of science fiction, you could say, well, you know, who knows what kind of alien technology yeah. there might be. But just thinking in terms of what we know and what would make sense just from a physical standpoint no it doesn't really add up okay well uh yeah thank you so much okay you're welcome and uh if you have any more ufo sightings you can always give me a call again <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so um, there's probably a not a rocket ship is what I'm hearing. Yeah, probably not a rocket ship. Um, and I think it's funny that after like all of this stuff about like these pieces of metal, were they are radioactive? What kind of radiation? Like in the end, that might kind of come to nothing if it doesn't make sense for those to have resulted from a spaceship. Yeah. So those may just be kind of a red herring that like... I don't know, maybe someone planted them who was not familiar with how a rocket would work. Yeah. Or um, maybe they were just there. I don't know. They're yeah. slightly radioactive things in the white shell. Who knows? Um, yeah, so probably not just like a regular rocket ship. And yeah. definitely a big thank you to my dad for reading through this and telling me whether <laughs> it sounded like a real rocket ship. <laughs> Tolerating your like, could it be another type of gas? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my poor dad, whose students all or whose uh, children all went into the arts. <laughs> um, the other thing I thought about is whether so it doesn't sound to me like a space vehicle. It no. doesn't sound practical for that. Could it be like a nuclear powered aircraft of some kind, like not meant to go into yeah. space, but just meant to fly around the earth yeah. like an airplane? So the Americans and Soviets both experimented with nuclear powered aircraft. And that would explain some parts of this, mm -hmm. right? It would explain potentially why he got so sick if he had radiation yeah. poisoning. It would explain why there might be radioactive debris. Um, the problem here is largely the year. So yeah. the American project, which attempted to build one, ran from 1946 to 1961. Okay. So it's like done by a number of years. It's done by a number of years. It was actually canceled by JFK before they ever even built a working aircraft. Okay. The reason for that is because they had been working on it for 15 years and, and, had, spent, and had spent a billion dollars, Sabrina. Oh, a billion dollars? A billion dollars and had not built a working aircraft. Okay, so, so I think, like, <laughs> it's time for it to end. I think JFK probably found that out and was like, what? Time to cut our losses. Yeah, I mean, we're spending money on the space race, but not like that, fellas. <laughs> um, the Soviets did kind of create an experimental nuclear-powered aircraft, but theirs was essentially just a nuclear reactor mounted inside a bomber. Okay. Um, like, this thing was, like, 150 feet long. It just looks like a normal plane. Yeah. It's not anything like a saucer like we saw there. But then it, also, why would it be in the white shell? <laughs> yeah, we, no, it doesn't make any sense for yeah. a Soviet airplane, like, of any kind to be in the white shell. If they had yeah. some kind of experimental airship 
presumably they'd be testing it in like Siberia. Was your dad very excited to talk about science with you? He was um really nervous. I kind of I a little oh. bit I a little bit bullied him into it. <laughs> and then afterwards he kept being like, Was was that okay? I was like, That was so good, Dad. You really sounded like you know what you're talking about. Okay. Because he does. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I looked at the thing I was trying to look up. Okay. Which is that there was a rocket range in Churchill, too. So, like, there was space yes. stuff yeah. going on in Manitoba, but probably. Yeah. So, you might. Yeah. I don't think it's that crazy that you might see some kind of aircraft in the white shell. Just probably not, like, the kind of thing that he described. Yeah. And probably it wouldn't be radioactive. I mean, so, this is the issue. This is part of the reason why the Soviets don't ever do anything with yeah. this with this um aircraft is because so they did fly it actually there is a number of times oh cool most of them though not with that reactor running because they were largely just trying to test if they could separate the engineers from the radioactivity yeah like they were experimenting with different kinds of protection shielding. Right? Yeah, yeah of protection so that's part of the issue. That's why you don't want a nuclear-powered aircraft <laughs> yeah. for the most part. So it doesn't really make sense even if you did see an aircraft of some kind for any kind of radioactivity yeah. to be present. So that might just be something that's actually totally irrelevant to the story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so again, it was canceled. Their project, it was too expensive. And the possibility of disaster also with a nuclear-powered aircraft yeah. is like pretty obvious here yeah if it crashes bad things are gonna happen yep gonna have chernobyl 2.0 yeah um and the idea also with a nuclear powered aircraft was that it could stay in the air much longer yeah. than one requiring fuel right? yeah it wouldn't need to refuel so often so it could engage in nuclear retaliation if ever your entire country is yeah. bombed and disappears yep um becomes yeah, the idea is made obsolete by the creation of intercontinental ballistic missiles, which can be mounted on submarines. Yeah, so that ends that project. Uh, yeah, mutually assured destruction done in a way that was not these aircraft. So, <laughs> Cold War is lovely. Um, yeah, another theory, could it have been just some kind of hallucination? Um, I mean, like... Maybe, like, there's the physical evidence... Yeah. So I think I'm just going to throw away the pieces of metal. I think that's weird and irrelevant and could have been planted later. Yeah. But the burn shirt and the glove, for sure. Yeah. But um, they're not necessarily evidence of what he said he saw. They're evidence of something. They're evidence that he got burned, for yeah. sure. But is it possible that he, like, had some kind of medical emergency out in the white shell as he's sitting there and having lunch and, like, fell in his fire or onto his barbecue or something. I guess, like, the grape pattern really makes sense if you fell on, like, a grill, yeah. though, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, you might yeah. have, right? So I think that's possible. I mean, he has this continuing illness, but it could be a kind of chicken and egg thing where he has this continuing illness because he got ill and saw this thing yeah. and then just continues to be ill. I do think that's possible. I think it would be... It's a little hard to imagine the exact scenario. Yeah, like that's a very specific yes hallucination. Yeah, and then I mean we don't know of any other hallucinations he ever had in his life, but maybe yeah. you also just don't tell people after no one yeah. believes your your UFO first story. one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I have no idea what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I don't know, and Chris Rutkowski doesn't know, and I don't know. But we all like Stefan Mahalik, and we all love Maria. So, and Stan Mahalik wrote this nice book for us. So, great family. 
great story. What we a, love them. What a stand thing happened. Is he like um, all in on his dad's? He's all in, he believes what his dad says. Okay, for I sure. Mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, like I don't know that he thinks that it's aliens. Yeah. Um, but I think also like because of how their family was treated, I get the feeling that he ended up being like a little bit defensive. And I don't yeah. mean that in like an insulting way. But I think felt... Or, like, protective, uh, maybe? Protective is yeah. maybe the better word. I think felt a little protective of his father and his story yeah. as well. That makes um, sense. But, yeah, this has continued, even though we don't know really what happened, continued to have a lot of cultural re- relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you go out to Falcon Lake, I was out there in 2017, I guess, and there was, like, a ton of stuff about it. This yeah. is the, the anniversary. That's where I got my nice shirt. Right, yes. Um, there have been... A number of planetarium shows at the Manitoba Museum <laughs> about it. That's fun. Yeah, I tried to see if the planetarium um, operator could track them down for me, but he unfortunately could not. Um, but he told me about them, which is very nice of him. Okay. Anyway. Um, Chris Rutkowski mentioned a mini opera, which what? was written at some point. I couldn't. I couldn't find it. Oh. I only. I didn't find out about this <laughs> that long ago. <laughs> but I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, there was a coin minted hmm. with it on it. Um, yeah, so it's a nice thing that's kind of lasted in our cultural memory. Oh, yeah, and then Nick showed us that um, that album that The Weaker Thans wrote. Yeah, The Weaker Thans and Jim Bryson uh, rented a cabin at Falcon Lake and recorded over a week and called it The Falcon Lake Incident hey. in honor of uh, that sighting, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so nice little story with uh, some cultural relevance to us. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, I'm... Not often sold on extraterrestrial things, but all, like, who knows? Yep. No, and I mean, I think I... I'm okay with it being a mystery. Yes. I don't think it was aliens, just to no. be transparent. <laughs> I do think he might have seen some kind of plane or something. I don't know. The journey is the fun part. The journey's the fun part, and we hope you enjoyed the story. <laughs> we heard about an insane tax evading man, and that's I, all I ever want I, in a day. <laughs> I hope everyone appreciated the, like, little leeway <laughs> I took there, the little... The little side path we yeah. took to get to that man. I loved it. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah. Okay. So if you want to see uh, pictures of any of the evidence Alex has talked about, you can check us out on our website, uh, onegreathistory.wordpress.com. We'll also be posting them on social media. We are One Great History on Facebook and Instagram and number one Great History on Twitter. If you'd like to financially support the podcast, you are more than welcome to do so. We have a Patreon now where you can access fun bonus episodes where you talk about ghosts and fire horses and all sorts of fun stuff like that it's five dollars a month you help us pay for research fees help nick put the podcast up on things so it's patreon.com forward slash one great history thanks for listening yeah just a little bit of housekeeping stuff Alex, right, what know. show is this oh i said no i said hello and welcome to one great history no you said hello and welcome i'm pretty sure okay we can start that over that's fine <laughs> No, I like this intro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll start again.